The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, kids, let's travel the world together. She can make it easy and in any kind of weather. No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down. She's talking from the skies and sending lives a feel good sounds. Oh, Betty, in the sky, have you heard her yet? She loves traveling, there's no doubt. Betty and the Jets. Oh, she's weird and wonderful. Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen. She's wearing high heel shoes, got her wings on too. You know I never seen a better stew. Oh, Betty and the Jets. Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. This is a very special episode. It is a Sulawesi episode. I just got back from a big trip to Indonesia, and we have lots of stories about swallows, poopy pens, tarsiers, black-crested macaques, smoke in the airport talking ghosts and baby powder. <laughs> Let's just get on with the show. So one of the first things I did in Sulawesi was go to this island uh, off of Manado, which is called uh, Bunakan Island. And Bunakan, when I first was telling someone I was going there, I was calling it uh, Bunakan. You know, you never know how things are pronounced, but it's... Uh, Bonakin. Anyway, so I was staying at this dive resort called Living Colors. It's owned by a Finnish woman. It was really a fantastic setting behind the mangroves. But one of the things I wasn't aware of, I had arranged a boat from the hotel and they were going to take me over to the island, but I wasn't aware there was no dock. (laughs) First of all, we were coming up to the mangroves and the guy driving the boat was like, this is your hotel. And I'm thinking, where's the hotel? All I could see was mangroves. And then he went into an opening in the mangroves. And there was this, be- they were like just beautiful bungalows built into the mountainside. Uh, just lovely. Uh, but I wasn't aware there was no dock. So, you know, I had to get out. And um, they put a ladder over the side of the boat. And I was just thinking, as I do when I'm traveling, you know, okie dokie. <laughs> hiked up my skirt. I was wearing a skirt. I wasn't wearing the correct shoes um, for getting in the water. But, you know, I just hiked up my skirt and thought, okay, what the heck? You know, got out in the water, waded over. (laughs) But it really was a nice place. And there were a lot of nice people there. I got to meet uh, some very nice couples that I spent a few days with. Uh, But it's like a resort. And one of the things when I'm traveling is I don't want to be a, my friend Christy used to call it a hotel hugger. So say if you're in a place you're not too sure about, you know, you know, you feel safe in the hotel, you don't really wander out of the hotel 
too much. So basically, she was always saying, we can't be hotel huggers. So I wasn't going to be a hotel hugger. And I wanted to see the rest of the island. So I headed out and I wanted to, you know, walk around the island. So uh, you could see how the locals live. And there were some locals doing some construction. And I'm walking. It was kind of muddy. But, you know, it was a nice walk. I'd like to see what's going on. And all of a sudden, this giant bug I didn't know what it was, but it was at least three inches. I really couldn't tell. Just landed smack dab on my face, on my face. <laughs> so I started doing this uh, crazy screaming bug in the face dance, you know, like, ah, ah! <laughs> and I couldn't get it off. I didn't also know if it was a biting bug, so I didn't really want to stick my hands on it. So I was trying to like, you know, move my head around and, and screaming at the same time. Uh, didn't know what to do. Didn't know what it was. Uh, so I eventually realized, oh, wait, 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 I, I have sunglasses on. So I could grab the side of the sunglasses instead of the bug, threw those off, threw them on the ground, you know, still was doing like a dance. <laughs> I could see then it was a praying mantis. So that is not a very dangerous bug. But I didn't know. All of a sudden, there's a giant bug on your face. You know, it could be something bad. So I look over at the locals and they are just all dying laughing at the, you know, blonde tourist doing the crazy screaming bug in the face dance. So I did a little bow curtsy <laughs> and then just continued on my way. The music for this episode, I was in Taraja and I asked my guide and my driver to sing some songs, some typical songs, and also some songs they have made their own. So while I was staying at Living Colors, I was hanging out with these nice couples. One was a Canadian couple and one was a couple from Finland. And the couple from Finland, though, the the girl was telling this story. We we're telling lots of, you know, they were both, both of the couples were big travelers like I am. So we're like trading travel stories. And she was talking about when she was in Egypt, uh, many, many countries where they have poor plumbing. You see it a lot in like uh, Central South America. There's a sign in the bathroom that says, don't put anything, even toilet paper in the toilet because it'll it'll clog up the, the plumbing. And believe me, I have made the mistake of doing that. It's all backed up. It's a horrible thing. So when there's a sign that says don't put paper in the toilet, you really don't want to put toilet paper in the toilet. But as she was telling the story, and as I've had happen also, it's just a force of habit. You know, it's muscle memory that you just throw that that toilet paper in the toilet and then you think, oh, shoot, crap, shoot, crap. I'm not supposed to put the paper in there. So her and the friend she was traveling with had put a ballpoint pen on the toilet for the express purpose of fishing out the errant paper in the toilet and then put it in the waste basket. Uh, it always seems strange, you know, putting soiled toilet paper in the basket, but that's that's what they do. And, you know, when in Egypt, do the Egyptians do? Anyway, they had that pen there just... Uh, you know, it's like a designated uh, poopy pen. <laughs> and she said three days into the stay, the maid apparently stole the ballpoint pen. Obviously, she, she didn't realize what it was there for. But uh, the woman who was telling me the story was saying, you know, it's sort of, you know, karma, you know, <laughs> that if you're going to steal a pen, you know, it might be the crappy 
poopy pen. You know, it's like crappy karma. So while I was in the Bunakan Island, I I love to snorkel. It's one of the reasons I'm there. I was staying at a dive resort. So most of the people were out diving on the boat. I went with the divers the first day, but they actually had great snorkeling right off the shore. And, you know, with your when you're with the divers, you always have to be sort of worried about a time, you know, when they're coming back. You know, you're sort of on a schedule. I prefer not to be on a schedule. So the second day, I didn't go out with the boat. And the first day when I wanted to go snorkeling, she's like, yeah, walk down the beach. And when you get to the next hotel, um, there's a path in the water through the mangroves. And then there's good snorkeling out there. And I was thinking, there's a path through the water. Never really seen a path but it really was a path underwater. They <laughs> but <laughs> I followed the path and I was the only one out there. And it was beautiful snorkeling. Lots of turtles, stingrays, uh, lots of coral. Very impressive snorkeling there. And so I spent quite a bit of time out there by myself. I'd go out pretty far because the boats didn't come in that way. And they always tell you not to snorkel alone. And I know that, but I'm traveling alone. So basically, lots of times I'm snorkeling alone and I'm aware of the risk, you know. And I'm also, you know, when you're doing this kind of traveling, when you're in a country where you don't speak the language, you're sort of on guard a little bit because you don't know. And you sort of have to be on your toes. So I'm snorkeling. I'm, I'm aware I'm out pretty far. And all of a sudden, something smacks me on, on, on the bottom. I mean, you know, I'm looking down. And I'm thinking, what the heck? You know, because I'm out here by myself and something just hit me. Now, I didn't think it was a shark because the shark wouldn't be hitting your bum. So, I, you know, I'm in the water. I got my mask on. I'm looking around, you know, like, what the heck? I don't see anything. And I was thinking that I just imagine something just swatted me on the bottom. <laughs> like, there's no other people out here. I'm like looking around. I was kind of like sweating. <laughs> Not that you're sweating in the water, but you know, it's kind of like, what was that? I finally keep looking around. I'm mainly looking down, you know, because you're in the water. I didn't see any other people. And then I finally see a kayak. A guy, a stranger, um, had hit me with his paddle on the bum. And I, I look up and he goes, uh, yeah, I, I hit you with my paddle. He goes, that was fun. <laughs> he literally just like, I said, do you live here? He had an English accent. And he's like, yes. And I'm thinking, you you just like to scare the tourists by hitting them while they're snorkeling? And he's like, yeah, that was fun. And he, he paddled away. And it was like, well, that was a strange kayak bum swat in the middle of the ocean experience. So after Benakin Island, I wanted to go to the Tenkoko Forest because this is where they have the tarsiers and uh, the black-crested macaques and couscous that I wanted to see while I was in Sulawesi, which is really the main reason. Uh, I took, it took really three days and six flights <laughs> to get there. So uh, I hired, I, I couldn't figure out a way... Uh, there's guidebooks. You know, the guidebook, because it's only a chapter in a guidebook on Indonesia, it's not very specific 
And the way they suggested to get to Tancoco was like you could take a bus, you'd have to transfer, you'd have to take another bus, and then you'd have to walk. Anytime there's something like that, because, you know, it comes to walking, I don't really know where I'm going, you know, with my suitcase. So there are times when I decide to take uh, the more guaranteed route, because <laughs> there was a... Um, Minato Safari Tours, and it's like a real tour company, and they would pick me up at the boat that I was getting off from Banakin and uh, drive me there. And then, you know, they would have guides to take me through the forest. So, you know, this all seemed like a better bet than two bus rides and walking. <laughs> and not where I was going. So, yes, I decided to go with the professional Minato safari tours and they picked me up i wasn't expecting such a professional vehicle they picked me up in this van painted as a zebra they do not have zebras in Sulawesi, but it was this zebra nice vehicle painted with zebra stripes and my nice driver had this strange horn i don't know where they bought it but it wasn't connected to the vehicle but it was a strange horn it would make this noise and uh i recorded it so you could hear so here i'm in the zebra vehicle making this noise in your your safari vehicle with your <laughs> did the um manager give you the honk or is it yours no, the, owner. the owner he came out with a crazy honk well, <laughs> when you, uh, when you, uh, can you do that louder Anytime we encountered people, dogs on the road, it would do this. So Sulawese is the biological transition zone between uh, Asia and Australia when it comes to like plants and animals. So due to its geological history and geographic isolation, Sulawese's species that are uh, endemic to Sulawese is spectacularly high. So we get to a tree where my guide in the forest says that this is sometimes where the Tarsiers sleep during the day. So they come out. I talked to some girls who had been there before and they're like, they come out, it's like popcorn. It's like boing, boing, pop, pop, boing, boing. They just cute little creatures. They're only like two inches high with these giant eyes and kind of big ears and big hands and their heads turn around. It it was worth because we waited for a long time. They finally came out. I got to take some pictures. I'll put some pictures on my website and on Instagram. Uh, they were so adorable. Maybe one of the cutest things I have ever seen. And I also like being on night safari, you know, or walking back after seeing the Tarsiers. I'm on like a Tarsier high. <laughs> and uh, we see these magic glow-in-the-dark mushrooms that are like growing along the path. And it's like, this almost seems like it'd be in a, in a cartoon, you know, like magic glow-in-the-dark mushrooms that light your way. <laughs> so we're hiking in Tenkoko Forest, and I was telling them about that uh, about the, in Madagascar, they call the lemurs by saying mucky, mucky, mucky. And so how do they call the black crested muc- Like Tarzan. <laughs> Go ahead, do it again. Oh! <laughs> ah! no, no, <laughs> <laughs>
So I was getting a ride from Monado to Tankoko Forest in my <laughs> zebra chariot with the strange honking sound. And uh, my guide points out a huge building. And he said, that building is uh, empty and it's for swallows. And I'm like, um, excuse me, what was that? It's an empty building full of birds? And he's like, yes, they built this huge building for the swallows. And I was like, why would they do that? And he said, well, they built this empty building and then they put a recording of swallows in it to attract the swallows so that the swallows can come and uh, nest in this giant empty building. And I'm like, okay, what is the purpose of this big swallow building? And he said, well, the Chinese like to eat swallow nest soup. So they like to make soup out of the swallow nest. So they built this huge building, empty building, with a recording of <laughs> swallows to attract the swallows. So they will make nests in this building so they can sell it to the Chinese for soup. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know what? Uh, it might be politically incorrect, but the Chinese like to eat the wackiest things. I mean, who wants to eat bird nest poop? Soup. The other thing, uh, I got up really early in the morning after the night safari. Uh, they suggest that you get up and, you know, be in the forest by like five o'clock in the morning to see the black crested macaques. And that was the other reason why I had gone there. And we hadn't seen any macaques because lots of times... My guide was saying, you see the macaques on the way to see the tarsiers, but we didn't see any. And uh, I was a little disappointed because these, well, first of all, I love monkeys. And these black crested macaques, they're called that because black crested, it didn't occur to me for a while. It's because they have a mohawk. I guess they're the ones that invented the mohawk. It's just a natural mohawk they have. So they call them black crested macaques. And they're all black except for their bums, which are like sitting pads are very hard kind of like they explain it it's kind of like calluses on your hands that's what their bums and their bums are very um noticeable because they're not black so they stick out at one point when we finally saw the macaques they started running and they explained it was probably they saw a snake or something and they all started running and it was just nothing all you could see because they're black <laughs> was these bums running through the forest like bums on the run <laughs> And then some of the older adult males have like gray backs, sort of like silverback mountain gorillas. They actually used to be called black apes because they don't seem to have a tail, but it turns out they do have a tail. It's just a really tiny tail. They kind of reminded me of like small chimpanzees. Uh, they seemed so human-like in their expressions and they weren't. I had that first group. They they go in groups to like 50 to 100 of them. Uh and they aren't, they're not naughty. They like um, people, a lot of people have been to Bali and they have monkeys there that will try to like steal your food or, or take your jewelry. And these macaques, uh, black crested macaques, they aren't naughty. And they also aren't, don't seem to be, maybe they're just used to people, but they don't seem afraid of you. And they'll actually just go about their business when you're standing there. And you can take lots of pictures, which is great. And they seem to have very human-like expressions. And I was just loving 
being able to spend time with the black crested macaques. <laughs> I had seen on the internet, and some of you might have seen, there's a famous black crested macaque because the story goes, and a lot of people, including my guides, are skeptical that this is true. But there is a picture and a story on the internet, and there was even a lawsuit about a macaque because a photographer said that he set down his camera and this black crested macaque picked it up and took a selfie. And, and it's posted on the internet. And it's a great photo. He's like, looks just like a person taking a selfie. But I was talking to my guides about it and they weren't sure. And they said, sure enough, the macaques wouldn't touch something unless you put it down. They wouldn't take it from you. But they were sort of, you know, skeptical about whether or not they would, you know, be so self-possessed or, you know, would actually attempt or maybe they weren't, maybe he wasn't attempting to take a selfie and it just happened. Anyway, it's a great photo. <laughs> and so I like to take these crazy Christmas card photos and I was hoping to get a picture with the macaques, but they didn't, it, none of the pictures turned out that well. So I kind of thought, you know, from reading about this selfie, I thought, what if I put the Santa hat on the ground, maybe the macaque would put it on, just like the macaque supposedly took this selfie. Because <laughs> that would have been like the best Christmas photo ever, you know, this black crested macaque with the Santa hat. <laughs> but they all just looked at it really funny, strange expressions. And um, I'm still going to use it for my Christmas card photo, but it's not quite as good as the macaque actually wearing the Santa hat. So after Bunaken and then after the Tancoco Forest, where I got to see the Tarsiers and the black crested macaques, I wanted to go to Tana Taraja. I had my whole purpose for going on this trip was that I had read this National Geographic article and they had talked about going on night safari to see the Tarsiers and this uh, Taraja ethnic group that's indigenous to South Sulawesi, Indonesia. And the Tarajans are known or renowned for their elaborate funeral rites. So they live their whole lives to pay for their funeral. They have like week-long celebrations for the funeral. And sometimes they will slaughter as many as 60 water buffalo and lots of pigs. And it's a whole gigantic experience expensive celebration. So they will sometimes, I know it all sounds a little macabre, but they will keep the dead person at home for sometimes years until they can afford, you know, what they think is a fitting funeral for the deceased. And I was told if you go to someone's house and there is a dead person there waiting for their funeral, you're supposed to bring gifts for them. You're supposed to thank them. It's all very fascinating, if you ask me. And uh, I got to go on a tour to go see. I mainly wanted to see the Tao Tao. And I think it's the only place in the world they have Tao Tao. But what it is is sort of like um, these Tarajan people make an effigy out of wood or bamboo to hopefully look like the deceased. And they put it in front of the grave to like ever guarding the tombs and then ever protecting the living. It's kind of a lovely idea. And the old Tao Tao uh, 
don't really look like the person because it was explained to me by my guide is, you know, they didn't have photographs at the time. And the person sometimes waited for years. So they were sort of guessing, you know, when they were telling the person there's like a specific people who are, you know, crafts people who make the Tao Tao. But now they have photographs. So the current new Tao Tao kind of look like Madame Trousseau's wax figures. They're actually very realistic looking. And some of the, the burial sites, you can see, you know, the old Tao Tao near the new Tao Tao. And believe me, they look very different. <laughs> and I was also told that this European guy wanted a Tao Tao made for him. It cost like $1,000, which really isn't that bad if you think of having like a life-size you know, carving of your likeness (laughs) made for you. I guess maybe, you know, I wouldn't mind having a Tao Tao. So my guide in Taraja, who was taking me around to see all the Tao Tao's and the, we got to talking because, you know, we were spending basically probably eight hours together and lunch just he and I because... You know, I was the, it was me, my guide, and a driver. Um, So he was telling me that one of his clients, you know, who had hired him for a few days to show him around, uh, had really, they'd really hit it off. And this client was from Italy, more specifically Milan. And this client said that he would fly this guide, this Tarajan local guide, to Milan and he could stay in his house for two weeks. I mean, that's a huge gift. You know how much it costs to fly from, you know, Sulawesi, Indonesia to Milan? So, I mean, it's a giant, giant thank you. <laughs> I mean, good Lord. Anyway, yeah, so this these clients family had paid for this guide to fly, he'd never been out of the country, to Milan. And so I was thinking, good Lord, that must have just blown his mind. You know what? It's so different. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm there fascinated with, you know, how different and interesting their culture is. And then, you know, you take someone out of the mountains of central Sulawesi and put them in Milan, uh, you know, that's got to be a huge <laughs> gift, you know. So I said, oh, my gosh, you know, how did you like Italy? And he said, I know like. And I was like, what? He's like, I know like. They know rice. I take rice. They don't eat rice. Only pasta. And I'm thinking that's what he took away from two weeks in Italy is he didn't like that they didn't eat rice. Only pasta in Italy. <laughs> I was in Sulawesi for two weeks, and I never ran into anyone else from the United States. <laughs> I was the only one. And uh, people kept asking me where I was from. You know, where from? And I'd say, uh, United States. And they'd just give me sort of a blank stare. And uh, finally, a guide had said, oh, don't say United States. They don't really understand or don't know what that is. And I'm thinking, they don't know what that is. But okay. He said, say America. And they understand America. So people say, where from? I'd say, America. And they'd go, Obama. (laughs) And uh, then I was going to some villages or there would be Uh, school groups from some villages where they don't normally see Westerners. And you become sort of a um, 
celebrity of sorts. I know that sounds a strange thing, but everybody wants to take a picture with you. They're so excited. And like groups of kids, I'd have to take like 50 photographs with them. And (laughs) at one point, I had this group of kids, even the teachers, the teachers wanted to take pictures with me. It's a really strange thing. They're just not used to seeing, uh, you know, blonde haired people. And then at one point, this big group of kids, they were like, uh, take off sunglasses, take off sunglasses. So I took off my sunglasses and they all went like, because <gasps> blue eyes. <laughs> it's just, it, it is strange to be, you know, thought of as so different. And so then I was taking lots of bus rides, really long, arduous bus rides where I'd be the only tourist, be, you know, mainly me and Muslim people. And you know, on like a 12-hour bus ride, lots of times you're going to go to sleep because there's not a whole lot else to do. You know, you look out the window and stuff. I'd sleep a lot of the way. And I woke up from a nap on this bus ride to Barra Beach. And I'm looking at the row in front of me. And this woman, this Muslim woman, you know, in the whole scarf and everything, had all these photographs of me she had taken while I was sleeping. <laughs> it's a little, a little strange. So whenever I'm traveling to a, you know, developing or poor country, I always expect to get sick at some point. You know, this sanitation, you know how clean things are. You know, they also have different types of, you know, germs and bugs. And um, lots of times you end up sick at some point, and I expect it. So I was taking these horrible bus rides, you know, they'd say it was eight hours, it ended up taking 12 hours, and they'd stop at these local places where people would eat lunch, and then I'd look at the kitchen or the bathroom, and it was disgusting, and there was flies and, you know, lots of stuff on the floor, and I'd kind of think, well, you know, I'm just not going to eat, because when given the choice of, you know, something that could make me sick and not eating, I just choose not to eat. I also tend to lose weight while <laughs> traveling. Anyway, I didn't eat on that long uh, taxi ride and stayed in a nice hotel in Makassa because the next day I had to take a, another horrible bus ride um, to Bar Beach. And I knew that'd be like six, said six hours, so I'm thinking eight. Um, well, I wake up in the morning in Makassa at the nice hotel, which I didn't eat the day before on the bus ride and something. I don't know. I ate at the hotel. I don't know if it could have been there. I had seafood or you never know what it was. But I woke up, diarrhea and throwing up. And I was thinking, ah, crap, 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 crap. Because I couldn't decide. I mean, the worst thing you can imagine is to have diarrhea and throwing up on an eight hour bus ride. But I also didn't want to just stay in Makassar. There really wasn't that much to see or do there. The big cities were kind of yucky. I don't know dirty. I don't know. They didn't seem to have a lot. I prefer, um, you know, outside the big cities. There's a lot more to see. So I was going to be like losing a day. So I had decided to myself, okay, if I cannot throw up for an hour, I'm going to go ahead and go and and cross my fingers that I'm not going to, you know, have to yell at the bus. You know, they don't don't speak English that I need to get out because I have diarrhea or I have to throw up. But luckily, I didn't have anything, any fluids coming out of my body, (laughs) which is great. You know, that was a really good, you know, it was a risk getting on that bus, but it was fine. But consequently, I didn't eat anything that morning. And I didn't eat anything on the bus ride. Uh, I was afraid I'd have to throw up. So, you know, you get a little weak after you have diarrhea and throwing up. And, you know, it's hot. It's like 100 degrees. 
And I get off the bus in Bira Beach, and the hotel I wanted to go to was in Barra Beach. And they should tell you in guidebooks when there's not going to be any taxis. <laughs> I get there, and I, I found one lady who spoke English, and she's like, oh, no, there's no taxis. There's no taxis here. Um, and I'm thinking, well, fine. How am I getting to my hotel? You know, I have a suitcase. And, um, you know, it's not a big suitcase. It's the same suitcase, the same my flight attendant suitcase, but still. So I, the, I'm sticking to the woman who speaks some English, and, and I'm like, well, how far is it? And she's like, well, it's at least three kilometers, and, you know, it's down a dirt road. And I'm thinking, crap, I can't even roll. If I could roll the suitcase, that might be all right, but I don't know where I'm going. She's like, it's just like pointing in the general direction to the right. And I'm thinking, well, there could be many turns, you know. I don't know where I'm going. I, I haven't eaten. I've been throwing up and diarrhea, but I have been traveling a lot, and you know, the first time I landed in a place with no taxis, I freaked out a bit. But now I don't do that. I think, okay, this is what I say in my head. Like, okay, don't panic. Okay, well, I'll start walking in that direction. And hopefully, you know, there's no taxis, but maybe there'll be someone in a vehicle that'll take me just to make some extra money. Or, you know, maybe I can find someone who knows something. But at least I'm heading in the right direction. But I was thinking, I don't know if I can walk a long way when I haven't eaten and I've been throwing up and diarrhea. Anyway, I get, I walk, I don't know, 15 minutes. And then I see like a gate and quite a few places where there's tourists. They have like a, uh, there's like a fee, a tourist fee. It's like 20000 rupee, which is like $2. So that's fine. But I was glad to see someone charging money because I was thinking maybe he can tell me how to get there. You know, maybe he can arrange a taxi or a ride or something. So I'm saying to him, I want to go to Barra Beach bungalows. You know, how can I get there? And he's going, Ojek, Ojek. And he's pointing to a motorbike. But you know, sometimes they have like motorbike taxis or just regular bike taxis with kind of like a bench in the front, which had been fine. But this is just a regular motorbike. And I was thinking, and I was saying to him, he was writing down the price, uh, 50,000 rupees, which is $5, which is fine. I'll pay much more than that. So I don't have to walk. <laughs> and I don't know where I'm going. Uh, but I don't know how in the world I'm going to get me, my backpack, him and my suitcase on a motorbike. And I'm like going suitcase and they're going, yeah, Ojek, Ojek. I'm thinking I can't roll it behind me because they said it's a dirt road. So I'm not panicking. And I say, um, can I get two Ojek? Two Ojek? Because I'll put me on one and my suitcase on the other. And they're like, okay, but you know, that's, you know, a hundred thousand rupee. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's $10. You know, that's fine. I just, <laughs> I want to get there. I don't want to try to walk. I've been sick. <laughs> so I'm like, no, fine, fine. And, but then I couldn't figure out how there was a girl and she couldn't figure out how she was going to drive and hold my suitcase. So eventually they got this like 10 year old kid. He sat on the back, held the suitcase. And then <laughs> the four of us basically rode on motorbikes to the hotel. I gave them an extra $5 for the kid in the back holding the suitcase. I was thr so thrilled just to get there. And I was glad I didn't panic, you know. Um, they should tell you in guidebooks when there's no taxis because <laughs> it is off-putting to land in a place and uh, not have any way to get where you're going. Take me home to the place. Actually, that's good. Avilo. Westoraja, mm. 
So it's just about the holiday season again, and it's also shopping time. So if you're going to be buying some presents online, which now you probably will be, if you want to be so kind to support the show, if you go to my website, bettingthesky.com, click on the Amazon links before you do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any more, supports the show, and spreads good holiday cheer. Thank you so much. So at my hotel in Vera Beach, when I first got there, they didn't speak any English, which is fine. I, you know, you can't expect everyone to speak English in a place that's so far away. So that's totally fine. But it is harder to figure out things or get anything done. But later that night, uh, the woman who owned the hotel, she spoke some English so I could get some information from her. And I was staying in this bungalow and hot. Anyway, I didn't want to, there wasn't a mosquito net or anything, so I didn't want to open windows. And at night, after I went to bed, it's dark, uh, there's a, on my door, and there, uh, it's a man's voice going, ma'am, ma'am, madame, madame. And he's like, and I, madame, madame. And then he was saying something in Indonesian, I understand, I'm not opening the door. For a guy, there's a woman. I've only seen women working at this hotel. Um, I'm in a strange country. And then eventually I heard him saying something like, are you all right? Are you all right? And I'm thinking, yeah. Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Except for the man knocking on my door in the middle of the night. <laughs> so I didn't know what it was. I couldn't go back to sleep for a while. And so the next day, I say to the woman who owns the hotel, um, there was a man knocking on, on my door last night. And she goes, oh, no, that's not possible. And I'm like, no, it is. There was someone knocking on the door. And she's like, well, maybe he was dead, but he was not dead. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> and she goes, well, you know, uh, I believe this, that sometimes people are dead, but they're not dead. Um, like she said, sometimes I see, uh, it's all like in broken English, but I see horses come out of the sea with naked men on them and they 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 try to speak but they can't speak and I'm thinking what the heck does this have to do with the guy knocking on the door and I'm getting the gist that she's saying it was a ghost that there wasn't any man and there was a ghost knocking on my door and I said well the guy who was knocking on my door was speaking and usually if it's a ghost, they're not speaking. And she goes, well, I believe this. I believe it. You know, I, I believe there are people who are dead or not dead. And I was thinking, oh, geez. <laughs> what the heck? So I, I thought, well, I'll just let this drop. And then she started talking about her husband that was dead and crying. And I was thinking, well, I guess I'm not going to find out why the guy was knocking on my door in the middle of the night. <laughs> Welcome to the Hotel Tanatoraja. I was in Barra Beach waiting for my ride back to Makasa. And I like to watch people, the locals. That's one of my favorite things, just to see how people live. And there was this woman, and she had three babies. One was like under a year old. And beautiful children. And she had a bag, and she took... Johnson's baby powder out of her bag. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, I'm in such a different environment. Here she's taking out this really American baby powder, you know, such a familiar item. So she opened it the way you open baby powder, you know, you turn the holes and uh, she puffed it straight into the baby's face. The baby's like, (coughs) I was thinking, I've never seen, I've never seen a mother just, you know, spray baby powder 
in a child's face. I've only seen it used on, you know, their body or their bottom. And then she just sort of smoothed the powder into the baby's face. And I thought, you know, is that normal? I mean, I don't have a baby, but I've just never seen someone just, you know, spray a baby in the face with powder. And the baby's like... I mean, who who would want that? And then I thought maybe she just took it literally. You know, it's called baby powder. And, you know, I put powder on my face. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that's what people do with baby powder. But it just seemed wrong. you come to the hotel. So I was in the airport in Mikasa uh, waiting to get a flight to Jakarta and then on to Singapore. And, you know, the airport, you know, it's not very nice. Um, You know, it's fine. I go to uh, check in because, you know, uh, it's not my airline. It's going on Garuda. And uh, I'm in the check-in process. She's looking at my passport. And all of a sudden, you know, it's a, I hate to, I, this doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying it, I was in a foreign country. You know, it's mostly Muslim. I had read before I left, you know, there had been some sectarian violence. I uh, had been on guard, but uh, everybody was, was the people were as nice as could be. It didn't feel dangerous at all. And now I'm at the airport ready to leave. And all of a sudden, there's these really loud, like, explosion noises. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of smoke. And I I had just, uh, on the way over, I had watched a lot of um, doomsday action-type movies, you know, where you have to, you know, react quickly, you know. like. And all of a sudden, there's, there's loud noises. Everybody's looking around. There's smoke filling the the airport terminal, you know, I was afraid it was a bomb or something. So I grabbed my passport and my uh, my ticket from the lady. And I'm like, I'll be back. I'll be back. And I thought, I'm getting out of here. You know, just you never know. You know, <laughs> better act than be sorry. And uh, it turned out the escalator had caught on fire. So it was no big deal. <laughs> but <laughs> I was reacting like it might be. It's like, uh, I'll be back. I'm, you know, I'm getting out of here now. Well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I know it was a lot of me in Sulawesi in this episode, uh, but, you know, I get excited when I'm traveling and I had a lot of fun stories to tell about. So in the next episode, we'll get back to more airline stories, more other voices. And I still have some stories from Sulawesi that I didn't tell you. So join me again next time so we can travel the world together. Thanks. Bye. That's cool.